find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just Two Day Dream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Orphan 18, and welcome to our uh, kickoff of season four, which really isn't giving me much about season four. <laughs> um, this is going to be um, kind of a, an interesting little uh, retrospective of, um, of seasons one through three, and we're kind of looking at the phenomena that Glee was in the first three years and how, how the show ended up the way it was going into season four. So it's kind of like looking at it as a whole and seeing how we got to the point of season four and uh, joining me is long time, um, long time um, guest person. I don't know. (laughs) Guest is what I was going for. Old person. Old person. Long time (laughs) old person. Um, So I'll let her introduce herself. Oh, hi, I'm Snarky Hag. (laughs) That was anticlimactic. No, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I am old person. <laughs> and it's just the two of us. And, and, and so, yeah. Okay, so, all right. So it was, you know, spring of 2009. American Idol was crazy at the time. And I think that plays into where the show kind of got its kickoff. Because is American Idol still really that popular? Is it even still a thing? I don't think it's on anymore. Okay. But I think it just stopped, like, in the last year, two years. Well, I think also reality shows in general were really huge at the time, too. And you have a show that the pilot aired in in May, which was weird. I don't know why it aired in May. Probably to be with the finale of of American Idol. Yeah, I didn't watch it when it aired. Um, I, I heard about, so it aired having something to do with American Idol, which I didn't watch. So I didn't get any kind of tie into it. I didn't watch it when it aired, but then it aired and there were a bunch of people talking about this really great show. 
but not enough that you could really understand what it was. And that's okay with me because I don't really like to be spoiled by things. Like if I want to go see a movie, I'll go see the movie with, I would like to know nothing about it because then I get to see the movie. Um, and so I started looking some stuff up about it and I'm like, Oh, it's about high school. Oh, it's about singing. Like it's supposed to be kind of like dark and edgy. I'd probably like that. And then I tried to watch the pilot and it was nowhere for free. Like I tried hard to watch it for free <laughs> and I eventually bought it on iTunes. Like I spent the $2, which I normally don't do to, to bother to watch it like on my phone. And it was great. This was before season one. Yeah, this was before season one. So, so there, the pilot had aired, it just aired one time. Then there was all this buzz about it and you could buy it on iTunes. And I don't know how many people like chose to somewhere there's some sort of metric about how like it was really popular or whatever people actually like bothering to check this thing out like who would at this point it's times it seems like wow who would bother to do that you know um and then it was like you know three months until the show actually started so in between the time of the pilot and the show actually starting they had the press junket like the huge the mall tour which um, is kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, this this is interesting in, you know, we talk about Glee as a show so many ways, 80s-ish in a way, but this is something that, you you know, you haven't seen since the 80s or, you know, the Saved by the Bell tours of the 90s. Like, you didn't get people promoting a show at malls, especially, like, I mean, like, you know, I, I think about the other hit teen shows that have been in the last 10 years and, you know, obviously the Dawson's Creek kids didn't do it in the late 90s. You didn't see it for all these CW shows coming out. Like, who does this anymore? This was a thing that they did back in the 80s. But you have all of these, like, um, you have this pilot that and goes on after the finale of American Idol, which was relatively well received. And then you have all of this promotional stuff. Yeah, which I think actually, I think that mall tour thing was something that happened a lot with, say, um, shows like from the Disney Channel. Oh, did it? Where they had an entertainment element. Because like, okay, so like this cast goes on a mall tour. What did they, like, what did they do? They weren't singing at that time. No, that, they weren't. That cast didn't sing out live until, um, I remember they were on Oprah and it was the first time Corey sang live with something. Yeah. Which that seems like, yikes. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but so, you know, there they were at like all these big malls, hot topic, like, like super cheesy places to be, but it linked into the buzz that was happening at the time for the show. And so then along with that mall tour, there were hot topic signings, signings for posters, uh, like, you know, sort of like a meet and greet at the malls and also these video diaries. They gave all of the cast those flip cams or whatever they're called and just let them be young people with flip cams and they posted so much stuff like through fox on the website like not of their own it was just this huge like social media push in a particular way where it's not it's not like it was from their particular twitter or anything but it was a place where you could regularly go and see like more and more and more videos and it was video diaries and it was just the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, which is ironic when you think about the fact that 
you know, we're told that the show was about to be about these grownups. And yet every time they needed someone to try and go sell it, they took the kids out, dragged them around, like made them do all this stuff. And then it's like, gosh, why are people liking these kids so much? There's, there's a couple of uh, points that you, that you brought up in, in that. Um, the first being um, the social media stuff. This was in 2009. This is Twitter is just starting to happen. Facebook has finally become a universal thing. Um, mm-hmm. People are using online in ways they really haven't before. And we are starting to connect. I mean, in a way we are starting to connect to celebrities in a way that we didn't before. And especially these kids weren't exactly celebrities yet. I mean, yeah, Lee Michelle had her Broadway career, but Broadway celebrity is a bit different than like a list celebrity. I think the only person that was at all famous, famous was Jane Lynch and she wasn't really doing anything. And, um, so here's this, you know, here are these new kids. I, I, do you remember seeing any of the stuff where they trotted Corey and Mark out as the heartthrobs? I watched all of it. <laughs> like, I watched Because the thing is, much like today where you can sit down and just watch cat videos to relax, like, you could literally sit down, check every day, and there'll be, like, three new videos of some dumb, some dumb interview of them doing something. And it was all, all, it was like always all, what is it, seven or eight of them all together? Like they all went together and they did push really hard to like put people into categories. Oh, and they, they had all these like interviews that are not good interviews, but like someone was sort of charming or whatever. Um, and they definitely did push heartthrobs and they pushed bad boys and they pushed good girls and they pushed like everything they could possibly push. Um, and it was like, they were just thrown at a wall and see what stuck. Oh yeah. And what stuck was, you know, not only is the show interesting and is the story interesting, but I like these particular actors and actresses and I like their stories. And I think that's what influenced the back 13, wait, front 13, back nine. Front 13, back nine, yeah. The back nine. I think, yeah, all those things together. And you're right. Like, you know, Facebook had finally begun, finally been something that like really literally everybody had. And you could like Glee on Facebook and you could go to their web page and sit down and watch them ride a roller coaster on their flip cams and just sort of be generally like silly and charming. I wonder, you know, it makes me wonder. I know that how much of the Front 13 was written before they started shooting um, after all these mall tours, I wonder if I thought most of it, I thought most of it too. I really did. Now I have to say, I wonder, maybe we'll talk about more of this when we get into Kurt's storyline, because the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is all of the stuff with Kurt and because Kurt was an added on character mm-hmm. and, um, which I've watched the video of his, <laughs> his audition because you could like you watched all of you didn't watch the auditions uh for matt morrison or for jane lynch right uh, i think you could watch emma's but oh, most of the kids yeah, you yeah no all of the kids for sure like you, you really were able to as a like like for a fandom you were able to have this really intimate relationship that i don't think happened in the same way on that level 
for other fandoms prior to this. No, a real no. There's I, so I much contact. Yeah. Well, and then the kids are, you know, were young enough that, and this was a new thing that they were kind of putting themselves out there too. Most of them don't in the same way anymore. Actually, all of them really don't in the same way. And that, you know, I remember hearing that Chris had a Facebook, his personal Facebook, and he like, you know, accepted friend requests from from fans at yeah. that point. And, you know, all of their Twitters were much more personal, you know, and this was just a, you know, fame wasn't a, you know, there wasn't that line there. And yeah. I think that unfortunately that, you know, when that line starts to get blurred too much, um, that's when some of the, the issues, with, you know, come into play. But, um, but uh, jumping back a little bit. Um, so do you remember, I don't remember how the, I should have looked this up. I'm, I'm bad with my research today. Um, was the pilot well received? I think it was critically like this was a new interesting thing that really hadn't been done. It before. was critically well received. Um, and it had all this like weird other hype as well. So, I mean, plenty of people were just super curious about it. Yep. And then you have all of this stuff. And I, but I will say all of the media stuff that got thrown in the, you know, general audience's faces with a small tour and continuing on for the next two seasons, I think also is part of the reason that it burns out quickly when you have that much hype about something, the shorter shelf life it probably has. Yeah, I mean, it's unsustainable. Oh, my God. And maybe that's why they had uh, all the younger cast do it, because they had, you know, I mean, the older cast didn't go on those tours, on the actual Glee live tours. No, 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 not at all. They had vacation. Which is funny, (laughs) because Matt Morris and and Mark Salling, who's the oldest of the cast, are only four years apart. (laughs) (laughs) And and Jamma Mays, I think, was uh, only three years older than them. So yeah. it's, it's funny that we say adults and kids, um, but yeah. Yeah. It's also funny to me that, okay, so we get into season one and this show is not as advertised. The show is about this, you know, supposedly getting leaning towards middle-aged, you know, even though Matt Morrison was definitely not middle-aged at the time. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, guy who regrets regrets not going into performing and decides to start his glee club, and he has a crappy marriage, and you know, just all of this like middle agey stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the kids, I mean, Rachel's is definitely the B. Rachel's story is definitely the B story, but it's definitely kind of a a, a parallel, but still the, the second tier. And I have to wonder, like. Did the you know how much did the Fox say in all of this promotion stuff? How much did the writers have say? How much was you know was this bound to clash? The fact that they are doing all this promotion with these kids, and then you look at the storyline, and it is all about an adult and a very adult storyline. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, I I don't remember any promotion in the show that involved the Will or Sue characters aside from like, you know, stuff, just like commercials. On merchandising though. I will say all the merchandising. On the merchandising. Yeah. It was really, you could, it's almost like, um, you know, when they made, when they made, uh, the merchandising for, uh, 
Star Wars Force Awakens, and they made all this Kylo Ren merchandising, and for whatever reason, they didn't make any Ray merchandising, and then the movie came out, and everybody was like, but I want to buy a Ray doll, and it was like, oh, well, that's not what we, we didn't plan on that, (laughs) you know? Um, It was kind of a similar sort of thing, because by the time, um, after the first set, then the, the cast went out, not so much to do, like, mall tour type stuff, but then they started doing interviews like um inside the actor's studio uh, e-news type stuff i want to say um entertainment weekly like all that kind of stuff matt and jane would go for that mm-hmm. yep but most of the stuff like i swear to god at every single one of those they made chris dance the dance like that poor child. Was just well he was happily doing it then yeah um but there was just so there was so much focused on the kids that like of course the show was going to pivot they had this this untapped well of of talent and energy and interest that you know it just it just made the most sense well i agree and i agree and i think that you know there's some good things in the front 13 i think there's some very good humor it's very dark humor um, I think there's some good social commentary there, but the the people that draw your interest are not who the story focuses on. Yeah, it's not a bad show. It's just it's a different show. Oh, and as a side note, I don't know if I, like Kitty and I playing that game um, that um, the, oh, the Glee game <laughs> from the first game. thirteen. It's only the first thirteen episodes, and you uh-huh. can tell what a different show it was because all of these cards were Will and Sue cards and, and racial cards. And there was nothing that was outside of, you know, these main plot lines and it, Oh my God, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm never watching the first 13 again, <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, it was more of the merchandising. They had these games where, you know, and it's the first 13, it's not in the season one. It's the first 13 episodes. Yeah. Well, it was the stuff that was produced between the pilot and the airing of the rest of the seasons during that summer. You know, you know, they had to make bookmarks. Who were they going to put on the bookmark? Will and Sue, Rachel, Finn, maybe Ken Tanaka. <laughs> uh, Terry was on a lot of it because Terry, she was one of the, you know, but she was technically, uh, yeah. she was important. She was important at the time. She was important. And, um, and it's, and it's funny that this show, so, okay, so we, we've got this show, we've got a lot of promotion for it, it's getting critically acclaimed, and people are coming to it, and, I mean, it was rather popular in season one, what, you know, it's just interesting, I don't know I'm, I'm, where I'm going with Well, it started selling albums. It started, Oh, um, that's right, it was Don't Stop getting Believing. Getting nominated. Don't stop. Don't stop that, that's the thing. Also, so additional. So the pilot aired, and Don't Stop Believing went super high on iTunes. So, what did you think that in the beginning? Because this is before. Because we'll talk about this a little bit when we get into season two about the bullying stuff really hitting a, a cultural high or a, a hot point. Oh, what in season one did people connect to? Like, was it just that the you know. I, like these kids are different that this, you know, everybody likes music and everybody remembers being weird and awkward in high school. I mean, I think that people appreciated a dark comedy. I think that there were people who were there for the musical numbers. Um, it wasn't the iTunes juggernaut that I think it was more so in season two, 
um, for various reasons. Um, but in season one, the iTunes juggernaut was still, I mean, it was still doing very, very well. Um, and you had, you know, as, as season one progressed, you had a mix of, you know, what's going to happen with Quinn and the baby. Everybody loves a good baby storyline. <laughs> like do we all really? this other kind of conflicted stuff. And you have, I mean, you know, you have a relationship with main character romance. Like you have the, the Wemma situation. You had the Finchel situation. Like both of those were, they were really well played in season one. Um, and there was, I think a sense of like, I'm going to sit down and watch the show and what's going to happen. I don't know. It could be anything. They're going to break out into song. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, who knows what they're going to say? Um, and I think that that was interesting to people. I wonder uh, if also love it or hate it. People were talking about it too. With all Oh my of- God. So much. So I don't, I don't remember a lot of people actually watching it, but I do remember people like were aware that it existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also as the show progressed, um, you know, there were certain hashtags that started coming up and I'm not someone who cares about hashtags at all, but I do recognize that that's like a real thing for certain people in the world. That is, it is a functional part of society. Um, but there would be these, ongoing hashtags and so there was all this you know there was critical there was um information from the critics about what was happening information from itunes about what was selling information on social media about what people cared about um and so glee was getting a huge amount of feedback trying to as it progress forward like you know sort of helping to shape what was going to happen with that show on top of that you've got this cast doing all of the social media stuff so i feel like i feel like sometimes especially in the beginning the the phenomena of the show was what everybody was watching about you know more than the actual show i think that comparatively when you sit down and you watch the first season it isn't the be all and end all of amazing television. I, I I think that there are a lot of other shows that are you know just you know, better done. But I, I mean I still love it. I still love you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that's in season one. But I sure. think that when you are getting on a regular basis all of this you know you know you have to watch the show because it's funny and there's social commentary and these you know actors are going to tweet about it and talk about it. I think a lot of people get swept up in, and, and then a music. I mean, music really plays an important role in people's lives, and I think adding a musical element to it in a way that had never been done before, um, really, that I can think of, uh, that it wasn't like a variety show, um, yeah. really spoke to a lot of people. So I think yeah. all of that. And TV is different now than it was in 2009 and 2010. TV is better. So it actually was really significantly different and better than a lot of stuff that was on at that time period, which, you know, going back to American Idol, a ton of reality shows and the reality show thing was kind of starting to lose its shine, you know, a ton of reality shows, Law and Order, yada, 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 uh, CSI, yada, yada, yada. I don't even know what they're called. I never watched one. (laughs) Serial dramas. That's that's what a lot of the television was at the time. And so when it came into existence, Glee was 
fresh and new and different and weird and had lots of different places where people could hook in and be interested. And I think that that worked in its favor. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the high school element, it's interesting because this, as we've often talked about on the regular podcast, this was a show more so written for the Gen Xers than I, I still consider myself a millennial. I'm a very old millennial, but um, I, uh, um, <laughs> but I think that it, it has a lot of 80s nostalgia. I, I mean, it has a lot of, a lot of the way it was designed and set up reminds me of my high school experience, of my middle school experience more so. Uh-huh. Um, I know a lot of people um, who are older than I am really kind of get a lot more, even more of the references than I do. Um, and yet I think it can still be enjoyed as a teenage show too. Uh, Cause like when you think of teenage show, you think of these like WB show, I guess like, see, I'm dating myself with that CW shows um, that are kind of just not great. And yeah. Yeah. All right, so we, we got that, and then, okay, so they have all this stuff. They have the front 13, and then they come back. And, and the thing about Glee is when they come back, um, they have – Glee has always been, and sometimes to a fault, very aware of itself. It, the writers are very aware of what people are saying about it. And um, I think that they – when they came back um, from for the back nine – a lot of that, a lot of stuff changes. Um, you know, it's not so will heavy. They have more focus on the kids. That's when Kurt's story gets to be really amped up. I mean, there's a lot of changes. It, it, it is almost a brighter, faster, and a little bit crackier than, than the Front 13 are. Well, I will say this about the kind of press that they did in between in the hiatus in between when they would go out and do those whole cast interviews with, you know, uh, news outlets and entertainment news outlets. Um, Kurt was a phenomenon. I mean, just absolutely. Like it was, it was the perfect thing at the perfect time uh, with where we were at, like as a society. I mean, I mentioned the hashtag thing before, like one of the hashtags that got going early on was Kurt rules. And you would see it after every episode. And it wouldn't even necessarily have to do with Kurt. Um, it, was ju- it would just be have to do with, uh, you know, possibly about representation or about a really funny thing or about, like, the best line of the show. Um, and he was, he was attached to so much of the stuff that people were fascinated by. Well, and, you know, going off of that... You have the beginning, because what is going to develop is, you know, this, uh, how do I put this? Um, I um, endearingly call it, you know, our, the gay meets show. It's, it's going to be something that is much farther removed from mainstream general audience of watching than, than it does at the beginning. But, like, you've got these little seeds. You've got this interest in this gay character. And that is one of the biggest, but it's not, I mean, yeah, there's, there's Mercedes, there's Tina and Artie being like the, the outsiders. Like a lot of people, a lot of people identified it with these, the minor characters, but I give Chris a ton of credit because he does pull focus and he made Kurt incredibly, um, incredibly interesting, incredibly layered, um, flushed out. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, and I'm obviously biased, but just kind of this 
fascinating character at a time when gay rights was definitely something that national stage was ready to talk about. And unlike a character like Mercedes, who is a fabulous character, the showrunner wanted to tell his story through a character. Right. And he had a lot of actual real stories, uh, life experience with those particular things, a, a better grasp on what that story would be than with the Mercedes character. Uh, and so what grew organically out of that was just a really well done, different, like culturally, like perfect for the time set of things that all worked in, in this particular, um, in this particular show for a lot of particular reasons, like you had outside influence, inside influence, all those things. And it, it really worked to strengthen the show. Mm -hmm. Sadly for the show, which again is supposed to be about Rachel. Um, I feel like they never really had a writer who was Rachel. Uh, so they weren't able to do some of those things in the same way. The show was supposed to be about Will, really, ultimately. And Rachel was kind of this second main character. But I think it was really supposed to be Will's story. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be Will and Finn's story. Yeah, that makes actually <laughs> to them, more sense. Against the world. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that a lot. And I think that... I, I don't necessarily think that, that, how do I put this? I think the general audience accepted that, you know, they can take, they don't, they, they can have their, you know, Will and Finn story, which is kind of what people are used to. They're kind of used to, you know, a white and straight male protagonist, you know, trying to figure his shit out. The general audience is fine with that. And then there's this craziness in the background. And, and I think that also, plays to the popularity of a general audience in the beginning, because that's something mm -hmm. that they can still relate to what as in that they're used to seeing and they can, that's how they can also, you know, hear all these other stories about all these other different people. You know, it's when the show stops being about will and it goes gears more towards this kind of craziness that, that kind of plays into the losing of the general audience. Um, which I think is very fascinating. And we'll get more into that in a minute when we get into yeah. season two and three. But, um. So yeah, all those things happen in cultural phenomenon, incredible juggernaut. Then they send the kids on a live tour. The tour is hugely successful. And the tour is up on social media. Like, you know, one hour after the show is over, you can watch everything. When you have people from the shows tweeting about it, you have people, again, mm -hmm. talking about it. You have these interviews with the kids, again, um, so, uh, uh, really quick though, um, I wanted to ask you about the front 13 is still better. The, the whole first season got an Emmy nomination that year, but the, when I, I went back and looked at the reviews, sees the first half of the season got better reviews in the second half, which I think is interesting when I think all the interesting things happen in the second half of the season. Well, you know, there's shiny and new, so, you know, you have less of an opportunity to get bored with what the show is trying to do. Um, and you definitely have the fact that the, those, that first set is 
I mean, it really does seem like they wrote it, they sat down and they wrote it out and they were like, okay, like that's, that's like a solid thing. And everything else beyond that is an amendment to the original, like an addendum to the original concept. Um, and sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worse, but I could definitely see why, you know, and plus like critics are fickle. Oh yeah. You know, they're like, okay, I've watched 12 episodes of this now, you know, and the main characters have gotten together. So like now what, like who cares? Well, and I was going to say, um, I think that while the, the, while the general audience is still going to be another season, um, I think that the critics were kind of over it by the end of season one. They're like, okay, we get the shtick. Okay, we're done. You know? Well, if I was writing from the perspective of a critic, I would be looking at the show as a whole, but watching it as someone who enjoys it, like, you know, I just, I like characters and a show can be really good or really bad. But if you have characters in there that I'm interested in, um, you know, and I can see their little stories play out, then I'm going to watch it. You know, the thing, one thing that doesn't make sense to me and now talking about fandom a little bit is you get a lot of people and maybe it's just that people don't like change, but I get, I've seen a lot in my travels of people who are like, well, this wasn't like season one. And I'm like, but do you really, I mean, do you really want to go back to season one? I mean, it's, it must be, maybe they just miss the coherent writing. Maybe they miss the, the way the comedy was done, but I have a hard time believing people when they say they want to go back and talk about Terry and fake babies and Quinn and all of that. You know, there's nothing like the first time. The first time you do something, the first time you experience something, the first time you try something, the first time you see, uh, you know, you hear music from someone that you haven't heard before, you know, they're their original stuff is always the best. Like it's, it's hard for people not, I think on an emotional level to not always have that, that attachment to who they were and what was happening and why it seemed so, how it really caught them initially. You know, like people always say like, you know, your first love is always like the deepest, craziest love and everything else is mellower by comparison. It's just, you know, that's the thing that everything's going to be compared to. That makes sense. You know, I like Thor. That first Thor movie is not good. The second movie is great. I was willing to sit through the first Thor movie because I like Thor, but I'm glad that wasn't the only one that we stuck with, even though people seem to think that was kind of okay. <laughs> now I'm talking about Thor. <laughs> I tried to come up with something where the first one was terrible and then it got better, and Thor is like somehow the first thing I thought of. <laughs> Well, yeah. But like you think about, you know, there's people who say stuff like, you know, oh, you know, the first season of, you know, this or that show was really the best. And typically that's not true. I was going to say the first season, even the first, either the first season is great because it's a short burst of the thing before everything gets lost. Or it's the third season that's great because everything has finally fallen into place and the characters are comfortable with one another and it really starts to get good. Yes. The exception is this show, but, you know, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll get to, we're getting there. I promise. Okay. So in this case, we're talking about season two. No, I know we are. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that is a good segue into like, okay, so we get the summer. We, we, this, the show is huge, but I don't, I think that season two was the, 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 
that summer between season one and season two was kind of crazy with all the tour stuff. And, you know, you still got the social media, you still got the music selling, you still got the critics on their side, and you go into season two. But let's say this. So before, you know, in between the pilot and when it started airing, they shipped those kids out on a mall tour to every podunk mall and Hot Topic they could get to. Then they sent them on a uh, U.S. tour, which I don't remember how big those stadiums were, but still stadiums, like not nothing small. And the difference between before it aired, the Podunk Mall Tour, which that's not really fair because it's probably the Mall of America, which is giant. Um, just they didn't come to California. Just because you're so from California. No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, the next summer, they are in the biggest hall at Comic-Con. Yeah. And you cannot, like, that is serious. To get to be the biggest hall at Comic-Con is a really really huge thing when did they meet the president was that season i mean that was season two but was it that was no they met the president in early season one in the first set because you see pictures of them and they look like babies oh and they're they're wearing they're wearing those red sweaters from the like a prayer oh right because like they don't have like you can tell it's like just pulled together with duct tape and spit like you know <laughs> they're just i don't know send them out make them be the president everybody wear these <laughs> you know so we get season two we get season two. Oh wait let's talk about what happened at comic-con all right so let's talk about what happened okay. at comic-con so the first thing that's interesting about comic-con is who did they take ryan okay chris amber kevin jenna heather and naya oh wow they don't take mark they don't take Corey. They don't take uh, Leah. I forgot her name, Diana or Leah. Because I think those people had been um, at a Comic-Con the year prior in a much smaller hall. Mm-hmm. So why did they take all of these background characters? Clearly because like the show had happened. There had been this phenomenon of stuff. And it became apparent that what everybody cared about were the kids in the choir room. Mm-hmm. Um, the Comic-Con panel, I watched it. It was really interesting. Um, there was a lot of talk about, like, you know, who likes to do what? Or, you know, are you enjoying this or that? Who's having fun with this or that? Um, but there was a really interesting heated moment where um, some fans asked Chris about Kurt being stalkery with Finn. And he had to defend that in a way that I thought was really interesting and smart because it was basically like, you know, we're talking about this person who is like desperately wanting to be loved and having all these complications. And um, it was a really there was a lot of stuff on that Comic-Con panel that was sort of like a deeper level of uh, talking about the show and also talking about fandom. And at that Comic-Con is where they announced Kurt's going to get a boyfriend. And when they announced that, the hall lost its shit. I can only imagine. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, mind you, they had no idea what they were going to do with it. No, they didn't. And it's funny because I remember. classic, classic Ryan Murphy. I'm going to drop in the bomb in the water and see what the waves look like. I remember um, at the time because I had been watching season one with my good friend. And, um, my, my friend, um, who I've been watching with, she's actually, she's bi and, um, 
all sorts of LGBT stuff mean a lot to her. So actually when Santana started to get a storyline um, as a lesbian, she was just like over the moon. But she was talking about, um, she told me, she's like, oh, I read, um, she wasn't like deep in any kind of fandom, but she was, you know, she read, she, she watched stuff like Polly's New Butt from Comic-Con. You know, Kurt's going to get a boyfriend. And that, you know, reaching me, who was not anywhere near the inter- interwebs um, with this kind of stuff, like, mm-hmm. uh, that was a huge thing. That was just, you know, we're going to go ahead with this gay storyline. Something's yeah. going to happen. Which, at, on TV, at that time, a teenager, like, all of those things. Um, you know, it, it was Glee was going to raise the bar on that edgy thing that they had been working on. Um, and Brian got excited about, you know, I'm going to bait this hook and see what happens. And God, they didn't know what they, they had no they idea. They had no plan. Well, I mean, Sam was the plan, but you know, then not the plan or whatever. <laughs> well, I actually, we actually theorized, um, when we did special education that Karofsky was probably one of the original contenders for that slot. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the jocks, they just didn't have one. Yeah. But yeah, um, so yeah, let's talk about season two and how, you know, you've got some new interesting characters, you've got, you know, the, the beginning of this bullying storyline that really resonated with people because it was just the right moment at the right time. You've got writers kind of figuring out how to balance, you know, so they still wanted to write Will's story, but they can do all of the characters and they balance all of the characters relatively well, too. And then they hired this really, you know, questionably, yeah, I don't know if it was a great move for them, actor Darren Chris. Well, what are they trying to do? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, you have some, they didn't have, sorry, Kevin, they didn't have a male lead that worked as well. I guess I should say, sorry, Kevin, sorry, Mark. Sorry, Mark, sorry, um, Corey, sorry, you know, sorry, Matt. Sorry, all of them. <laughs> um, because... They didn't have a teenager who worked vocally in so many different places. Um, and so once they figured that out, then it was like, oh, okay, well, then this is definitely like that. That led to it. Um, you have a hugely popular character. And then this time I'm talking about Kurt. And you have this person who's going through, you know, a storyline that people really, really liked. And then, you know, the entire time, like there's a good section of people who are watching and they're watching because Walt Ryan Murphy said at Comic-Con that Kurt's going to get a boyfriend. So every time Kurt talked to a guy, everybody was like, is it the boyfriend? Is it the boyfriend? (laughs) Who's going to be the boyfriend, you know? Um, And so the moment is really specifically kind of great and sort of singular because of all the stuff that they had leading up to it I think I think that they they built it really well um, and the way that everything had been built around Kurt I I don't think having a lesser character Sam or Karofsky or random hockey dude number five I just don't think it would have worked for the story that Ryan Murphy was trying to tell because he wanted Kurt's boyfriend to be a really big fucking deal. And that's what happened. Yep. Just a little bit. 
just a little bit. I, 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 God, I think that it's funny to me that, you know, here's Kurt who has, was not in the pilot, was not a character that was ever conceived. Here's a no. storyline that was never supposed to happen here, you know, and then Ryan gets this idea to throw in a boyfriend and then you get this, you know, you get Blaine who was never supposed to be as big as Blaine was. And all of these show, all of these elements are, are actually, in my opinion, part of why the show kept going. I think that, you know, the, the writers were, how do I put this? Because I don't want to say they were great at it, because obviously we're going to talk about what happened. But, like, they were adapting. And, and for a while they did very good at, at adapting, at, you know, trying to balance out what they wanted to write versus mm-hmm. what, you know, uh, was really popular. Um, it's, I guess when that starts to become a really huge disconnect is when it, it really starts to fall apart. But yeah, but yeah, you have, you know, and, and that's, you know, you have the bullying stuff you have, you, you know, Santana's story and you start to, you know, have develop her character and people latched on. I mean, I, I, I don't know figures I'm guesstimating with this, but you know, Kurt and Blaine are obviously some of the most popular characters on the show. I think that Santana and Brittany are, are relatively high up there in, in, you know, who people. I mean, at to. that time, it, at that point in the series, um, for Barry was as popular of a couple as, oh, that's true. As Brittana. That's true. It was. I and I think that for Barry had more lasting effects. Um, and in some ways it worked a lot better. Um, but, that said, it was still a couple that people could pay attention to. And, you know, for years and years and years and decades, uh, most fandoms had been used to not seeing their shipping couples actually work out on screen. Right. Like, this is this is different. <laughs> so I wonder um, if that starts in, like, you know, season two is still critically acclaimed. They still get their Emmy. They still, I season two, I can understand why people talk about season two being the best season of, of Glee. And I, I do agree. Mm-hmm. I wonder, though, if it's also the start of where the general audience starts to take a left turn from fandom. And, you know, we're getting into all of this other this, this stuff, all of this LGBT stuff. And I, I, you know, there is, I guess this is a good time to bring this up. Two million people stopped watching after original song. Which is wild. Yeah. That's a lot. What were those people watching? <laughs> what did they think they were watching? <laughs> well, and you write in your notes, this, uh, you know, this is, uh, what had the show been advertised initially, what it grew into and how the viewing public respond. And, you know, thinking it back, yeah, it was about outsiders, But I think this, now that I'm thinking about it, going into, you know, this, you know, a general audience that can relate to, like, liking the songs, they can relate to, you know, being weird in high school. But when it starts to go off on this other direction, you know, suddenly it's not, you know, you lose all of those conservative people who are, like, on the edge and, you know, borderline anyway. And they're like, okay, now it's too gay. Yeah. And I, I totally understand that, um, for whatever reason, the show was able to get people in who didn't necessarily... I mean, this is also a time when, you know, the world was changing and changing rapidly. Um, 
And there was definitely, I think, a feeling in society of like, get on board or we're going on without you. You know, you're going to be left. You're going to be those unforgotten people that voted for Trump. <laughs> you know, the forgotten people that won't be forgotten anymore. Was I don't know say how they're forgotten, but whatever. Um, you know, this is the, the upswing uh, of all of the social justice improvements under the Obama administration. It was a real highlight culturally. Um, and so it was easy for things that drew a very clear line to either have accolades or be rebuffed. But it was a time where things were changing enough that the, that the accolades about showing representation were strong enough that, you know, it didn't get your show canceled. Yep. Well, and it's interesting you said um, uh, what you were saying, because, like, original song, after original song, there's a hiatus. And I think this was a point where you were either on for the long haul or you're getting off at this point. There is going to be, like, this is what the show is going to be in in this direction, or, and it's not going to be subtle, it's not going to be, you know, whatever. This is what we're doing. So you're either on board or you're not. And I think that's, you know, two million people decided to get off the ride. Um, yeah. And I think that the interesting thing, though, is that season two was really good at its storytelling, and it was really good at, you know, being culturally relevant but at the same time not not going too crazy with it and that is the difference between because we're going to get into season three in a minute here and season three was like when someone looks into the camera and winks (laughs) and season two wasn't not so much you know yeah (laughs) well okay so then we get into okay so we've got season two the show has been still pretty popular but you know i remember even myself like I would come into work every day and there's all this glee merchandise still from season one because they, there really wasn't like Darren wasn't really on any merchandise. Like this, it was all season one stuff still. So we're still selling the stuff that's old now uh-huh. and it's just, it's beginning to get a little tired. Like yeah. the hoopla. And then you have the second tour and that's crazy, but the cast is tired. I think that was just, they're tired. And Ryan Murphy yeah. starts development of American Horror Story at that point. That's a whole thing. They decide to bring in new writers. You know, they decide to try this Glee Project thing. They aren't sure what they're doing for season four because they decided to make everybody seniors. And just a mess of things in that, yeah. in that summer. Season three suffered from too many cooks in the kitchen to like in all the ways that Lee had a huge amount of possibility. Gosh, we could do this. Gosh, we could do that. It also severed from the fact that it, that's just too much. Like there's no way that this or any show could be all these things. The cast is too big and everyone in the cast is important. And you know, the songs, the productions and the songs and all those things, it was just, it was an unmanageable amount of what there could possibly be if you were only focused on one thing. And you have these showrunners who, you know, two of them just started doing another show. Yeah. Like, and in some ways, season three, you know, wrote itself. They wanted to have popular songs. They had all the characters in place. Who, I mean, they didn't bring any, any 
Did they bring in new characters in season three that anybody cared about? Not really. I can't think of any. People cared about? No. Well, unique a little bit. But but unique, I want to kind of, I mean, unique is a very unique situation. Yeah, but like. She's part of the Glee Project stuff, but she's also a a season four newbie, and it's part of the season four mythos but but they brought in those people and people had already known about them from the glee project so like a lot of the a lot of the the work that a showrunner might do for season three uh, you know it kind of already been done you know they'd picked out their cast they had done the thing you know you pick out a few songs and yeah it kind of writes itself i feel like that's maybe what they were thinking i agree and i kind of it's the first time i've ever thought about this but and and you know people are gonna yell at me for saying this i know this Season three felt lazy. It felt like yeah. they were kind of going through the motions like, okay, Rachel and Finn are going to have this like pretty predictable issues. And not that those stories aren't worth being told. They are, but there's nothing really fascinating. Everybody else is going to get these tiny little like hashed out things. We're going to drag these characters and we're going to keep making these characters you know, the same way they were before. And who knows if that was partly Ryan Murphy's attention being turned, if it was partly Fox intervening, because this was definitely a time when Fox was really putting its nose in everything. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, if the, there's just a lot going on at that time. Yeah, there was. And I think that it needed more tender, loving care than it got. But at the same time, you know, a lot of that legwork was already done, you know? Well, yeah, I, I think that... So I can I can see why people who people thought, you know, this show runs itself. I can, I can go off to the side, I can do these things, I've got a cast I can trust, you know, you, know, you just plop in particular things. And it was funny because I remember um, during season three, Leah Michelle had a really hilariously awkwardly bad twitter account oh, sorry this is true <laughs> but her t- her twitter account was like every day it was about got a cup of coffee and then every other day you won't believe what rachel's doing next and rachel was always doing something super boring and so it was never <laughs> but she was always like like edge of your seat like each day she was having positive with positivity with her coffee and then she'd tweet this like teaser of like you won't believe what rachel's doing like and then it turns out that she's like stuffing the ballots and maybe she's going to, you know, get in trouble. But this is Rachel. So nothing ever happens to her. So it's like not really very exciting or anything. Well, and that's the thing I always season three doesn't have any edge the way seasons one and two did. Yeah. Um, but also season two, when you look at it, season two feels like the ending of a story. And I know Glee has like 8000 different endings within it. And, and I agree most of, most of the time. But season to kind of wraps up people's storylines where season three kind of just, it's like they tried to keep it going, but there wasn't as much story to tell. It's like the writers kind of didn't know, like, you know, what they wanted to do. And I mean, look at how much they floundered just with Finchel. Finchel should have been easy. It should have been a whole bunch of scenes of them being a hilarious couple because they were, and we barely got any of that hilarity. And it should have been a whole bunch of drama where, you know, one of them says or does the wrong thing. And I mean, just it, like when Finchel seems squandered, you've got a problem. <laughs> 
when, when I'm saying that they had potential there and they didn't use it and that's unfortunate, then, you know, that's emblematic of the series having a problem. And I, I feel bad saying this because I do love lots of things uh, that we have, but I, I will say that I think in general, the Glee as a show was a show that had a lot of potential and always was a, just a tad bit short of what, you know, really... Sure. And that, that's, I feel bad because I don't really want to undermine all of the really great things that we did get in it. I mean, sure. No show but is when perfect. you look at the potential, when you look at the size of the cast and the abilities of the cast and the possibility of the storylines and all those things, the potential is huge. So the result is not that great. Well, and it's okay. So, so here, this is kind of why I wanted to do this podcast getting into season four. Okay. okay. Now it, you you have season three. You have Ryan Murphy wanting to do two different things. He wants to take some of his cast and make Glee the College Years, and then he wants because to take, he couldn't do a spinoff. Because he couldn't he do a spinoff. He wanted to do a spinoff. Right. Yeah. He wanted to do a spinoff with Corey Leon Chris, and for reasons I don't know, that didn't happen. Um, well, you know, I went back and looked at a bunch of stuff recently. Because um, we had been talking about that thing about whether or not Chris had gotten in trouble for saying that he thought he had been fired. So I went back and I looked at a bunch of interviews with the cast at the time where they're all like, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we're excited. It's going to be fun. And then I went back and looked at a bunch of like basically like Ryan Murphy interviews and what it seemed like what was happening, you know, behind the scenes for the people who were the showrunners or whatever is that Fox and Ryan Murphy, Inc. Productions, whatever, I don't know what to call them, um, they were trying to figure out whether or not a spinoff would work. And a bunch of stuff happened out of turn, especially, and this is me speaking from my own personal opinion, I don't speak on behalf of Judean believers here, Ryan Murphy shot his mouth off about all the stuff that was going to happen before the network said, yeah, we're going to order that from you. And then everybody got questioned about it and everybody had to react to it. And everybody but Ryan Murphy was like, yeah, okay, I mean, I'll go with, okay, sure. Um, but then Brad and Ryan got pissy about it and they had a bunch of weird, shitty interviews where there was a lot of weird finger pointing. And it just kind of seemed like, uh, you know, people started talking uh, Ryan Murphy likes to put ideas out there and then see if, if anyone will bite. He did it too early. There seemed to be some sort of friction between him and Brad. And, you know, they they put the feelers out there before they really had the backing for it. And, um, you know, Fox didn't say, yeah, we're going to order two seasons of this Glee the College Years. And then they had to backtrack from it. And then they had to figure out, what do we do now? Um, and it really does seem like a mistake that happened specifically because the showrunners weren't doing a very good job of being showrunners, you know, maybe because they were focused on 10 other things. I don't know. Um, In addition to that, you've got Ryan Murphy who, you know, through American horror story and the American crime story, he likes to tell a season worth of stories and then change things up. And his original concept for Glee was supposed to be about how they changed the cast every year. They'd be getting new kids in, you know, kids yeah. who graduate, whatever. 
but they didn't. And this was more of a traditional show. And people liked these characters. So what, what going into season four, Ryan Murphy wanted to start over again. He wanted new characters. He wanted to play with a different sandbox. He didn't yeah. really necessarily want to write about, you know, I don't think, I think that Fox wanted to pass on it because they knew, hey, if you take out your biggest stars from the show, the show's going to fail. Yeah. Who cares about what's happening at McKinley when everybody goes to New York? Right. We're only going to care when they visit New York. Exactly. So I think Fox made the smart decision to axe it. Um, but, or they, uh, Ryan Murphy's like, okay, well, I wanted to still do my own vision. And mm-hmm. that is kind of, you know, on top of that, we've got, so we have all of this like conflict going on with the creative team and Fox and everything. You get people who are just generally tired of the show. I mean, sure. It's a lot of singing and dancing and season three being kind of mediocre. I, I can see why a lot of people left and not to mention that season three kind of wraps. I mean, again, I don't feel like it's the same way as season two. I think that a lot of things, because they know they were going forward, is it's still very left open. But seasons one through three is def- are definitely one show. And seasons four through six are another show entirely. In, in some I respects. totally agree. Yeah. And, I mean, we've talked before about how if there's one thing Glee's good at, it's a goodbye episode. Yeah. So they had so many places where they basically told people, like, if you want to tune out now, that's fine. You're good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I guess that's, you know, so as we go into season four, I mean, we're not going to um, – I, I do want to do a podcast at the end of four uh, – at the end of six to talk about seasons four through six. But I just kind of wanted to take a look at how did we get – to this point that we're starting in season four and why are we going to start getting the stories that we're getting? We're going to start getting these newbie characters. We get, you know, less screen time for the older cast. We get all of the breakups that happen. And, you know, I think all that Ryan Murphy wanted to write something different completely than what he had sure. before. Well, I mean, in, in the thing is, so you had three seasons of a show that did fine. And they were able to introduce new characters to the Glee Club that people cared about. Case in point, Sam. Right? He showed up in season two. Uh, People liked him enough that they had the cut the cord debacle. Um, You know, they got rid of Matt Rutherford. Nobody cared. They added in Sam. People liked it. I think that they... And they even survived uh, Rory and Joe, dear God, uh, being in the Glee Club for one reason or another. And so I think that they really thought, oh, well, you know, we'll let some people go. We'll keep some people on and we can do this. It'll be fine. It'll be totally fine. Um, And I think it might have had they made better choices for who they got for season four. Well, I mean, if you look at when, again, I don't know how much we want to get into it, um, but like when you look at it comparatively to season six and how they integrated the newbies that way. Season six makes it obvious what they should have done in season four. <laughs> but that's a little, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the we'll series. We'll talk about that on the far side. So, but yeah, I do think that, um, you know, what what was happening at the end of season three for the main characters that people really cared about were these complicated adult storylines. And season three had this 
like episode of the week feel to it, you know, where, uh, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we're talking about teen pregnancy. You know, what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about this. People could pop in and pop out. And that's just a totally different show than when you send someone to college in a state that they don't live in by themselves, who is essentially like sending Rachel to college by herself from her rather sheltered existence. um, That's not an episode of the week kind of thing. Like that's a story arc. Um, And they, they really weren't doing story arcs all that well, unless they were, your story arc was good if they popped in and visited you once every eight episodes because they could remember all the stuff. But I mean, if you look at the story arc that you get for Finchel in season three, it's not that great. They're just not that good at it. No, and that's the one um, story arc you really get. I mean, you can argue about the minutiae of all these people's little story arcs. And like, yes, and we obviously did because we obviously talked about all of these yeah. in the podcast. But... I, I think that when you get into season four, and, you know, I'm going to go to bat for season four, um, even though it's a mess, it's a mess in the way the show was really pretty consistently written seasons one through three. And you get into season four, and it starts to be this, like, what the fuck are they doing? But there's some really great story arc and storytelling in there. It's just that it's, you know, we are, at this point, season three, yeah, it's telling us everyone, you know, one episode, you know, episodic, that this thing will happen and there's no whatever. You have to wait again 20 episodes for another thing. But season four plays the long game when then it gets yeah. stretched out and way long game into season five. But season season four, five, as I like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> season <laughs> And really four, five, six, because it's all one big long narrative, really. Yeah, true. Uh, unfortunately, though, with the newbies, they're still playing this episodic game. Yeah. Um, which is why it's well, messy. Well, I think that there are, you know, there are things that were happening in season three that made people think that they could do it. You know, they had all these elements that were functioning very well, and there was plenty of stuff where you could still be a casual viewer. You could v- drop in and get the jokes and enjoy it and have fun. Um, and, you know, I think that they, on some level, they had to think that this is a machine, the engine is already written, and, you know... We're leaving Derek, Chris, and McKinley. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I'm going to... Okay, this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think that with the exception of what they did with Mercedes, I think Mercedes should have stayed. With the exception of her... You mean not graduated that year? No, just had her in the show. Had her in New York. You know, with... Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that the choices that they made with the characters were correct. Like, getting rid of Puck and Quinn and saying goodbye to them was a good choice. Yeah, their stories were done. And even, I, I hate to say this, but even Mike, his story was done. I think mm-hmm. that Mercedes should have stuck around and been on the New York side earlier. And But uh, even Santana, you know, having her being lost a little bit and having her come back in to be in the New York side w- works. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I know, uh, you know, we talk, uh, there's a lot, of t- a lot of things about, oh, you know, they got rid of all the casts, you know, and I'm like, no, they really, they got rid of Puck and Quinn. That's really what they did. Um, they got they got rid of Puck and Quinn, and Corey was having issues. Yeah, which I have to say that at the time they were hiding really well. They were, but you, he was he thinned out a lot. Sure, but you know maybe he just got in shape. There's that. So yeah, so that's where we are at the beginning of season four. I mean, um, we got this brand new storytelling, but I think that going forward, 
Um, well, and you know, this is the thing though about the, the general audience that I wanted to make with all the phenomena stuff. The, the phenomena has died down pretty much after season three. You are watching Glee because you want to watch Glee. Yeah, totally, totally. The thing though that it allowed the writers to do is basically because there wasn't this pressure from having this big phenomena on their shoulders, they were allowed to tell the stories that they wanted to tell. And uh-huh. I think that, especially in seasons five and six, it was a much better show for that. Um, well, I mean, for me, you know, the back half of season five, because I was tired of that year and a half school year. Man, I'm so glad true. that it, it wasn't. Was, <laughs> I'm so glad that the other school years were an actual year. Like, in reg- you know, not that I wanted these people to graduate and go away, but thank God, because, man, that school year felt Yeah, long. I mean, the storyline it was. And, you know, it took a really long time for, I think, for the newbies to uh, make sense to someone who had been watching the entire time. It was hard to, it was hard for me to care. Um, Part of it is because I felt like um, there was uh, an immaturity to them. Yeah. Well, you. Like an immaturity to the show. Like, I don't know, were they trying to get new 13 year olds to watch it? No slide against 13-year-olds. I was one once. I had to watch TV. Makes sense. Um. I have to wonder, like, I think the biggest problem is that when you have these characters that are once kids and then they were growing up and you want to continue their adult storylines, having the reminder of a, a recycled, you know, story. Because, I mean, Charlie was recycled to Finchel. It was. I'm sorry. I know people like it. Whatever. Um <laughs> I'm just going to get rid of all of my followers. No, <laughs> um, no, they were super boring though. They were, they were boring. And, and so, boring. but what I would like, but this is not plugging. What I'm saying is going into season four and, and what we're going to try and talk about on the podcast going forward. is really this, the curtain, the Blaine stories become sure. really, really fascinating and really interesting. And the nice thing though about it is that a lot of this newbie stuff, we don't even have to focus. I mean, it just, Unfortunately, like in season three, because Blaine was still such a background character, because Kurt was so tied to like the Hummelberry Finchel madness, you know, it feels like we okay, like there's a lot of stuff that you know you have to touch upon, but their stories kind of end up being their own separate thing. Yeah, I mean, even when you think about like, so you know, in season three, Blaine and Kurt are in high school together, and then moving into season four, we have to figure out exactly how that works because. Kurt is now, for lack of a better term, an adult. And Blaine's what? The jailbait boyfriend? Like, he doesn't fit at high school anymore. He's already a grandpa. Like, he's already out of time. And it's one thing to have him seem like a mature teenager, and it's another thing for the show to make it feel like, these characters don't fit in this setting anymore. I mean, they just don't. You know? Do I care that Blaine has a test? Ooh, no, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> well, oh, so going, I guess this is a good segue to um, the second part of the, the the podcast that I wanted to do today was kind of to look at the Kurt and Blaine and Clayne storyline from the first three seasons and All right. just take a big overhaul. Unless there was any, is there anything else that I didn't touch upon that you wanted me to? No, I feel like I've exhaustedly complained. <laughs> It's one of those things where I'm like, I've been for years. I'm like, I just needed to like analyze this on a big scale level. Like this is why we got to the point that we were there. Mm-hmm. Bam. I said it. Um, but uh, kind of looking at the, 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 the this actual storylines 
Now, Kurt, I think, um, and you agree with me because I can read your notes, um, <laughs> has one of the most complete character arcs in the entire show. Well, he's also the only one with a complete universe. Yeah. Yeah. Because I said, you know, after Rachel, and you're like, no. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, because yeah, Kurt has his, you know, we get to see Kurt's dad and talk about his mom and, and have his brother and Rachel, we don't get to see her dads. We don't get to see her, you know, her relationship with Shelby is very fractured and very sporadic and doesn't happen after season four. And, Mm -hmm. and barely happens any of the other seasons. Right. It's really just season one. Get to see her home life all that much, except for the, you know, when they want to trot out Jeff Goldblum. I mean, but Kurt, you get to see his home life. You get to see what he was like as a kid. You get to have this emotional journey with him. And I, I, it's interesting. I don't know. I just, I have always been really fascinated by you get a whole complete picture for the most part. More so than Will, more so than... I mean, anyone. More so than Finn. Because we don't really see Carol that much. No. And the thing that I like about Kurt's arc is that it is a, you know, we can break it up into parts. We can break it up into, like, the season one with his dad and the season two with the bullying and meeting Blaine. But it's all connected. I mean, like, I can look at this whole series even though we're going to just talk about the one through three, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all connected. It is all meshes together. Cause you, you have, you know, the beginning stuff, um, where it's with his dad, but that kind of bleeds into the stuff with Finn, which bleeds into the stuff with the bullying, which bleeds into the stuff with Blaine, which, you know, and it's just, I, I, I don't, I just think it's just fascinating. Yeah. It's a, it's a character who, you know, is mostly consistent and for Glee, that's amazing. Right. <laughs> Uh, mostly consistent, and there is there there is a through line of his story. Um, and you have a whole, you know, you have school, you have you have family, you have home life, you have ambitions, you have all these things. Where um, for someone who's kind of a side character, he really is so much more fleshed out than their main characters, and they do so much especially in seasons two and three to make him the moral compass of the show that um, he just has this, this fullness to him. That's so totally different than anybody else. Yep. Which is sad for other characters who, you know, I, you know, like we were talking about like season three Finchel. I want to see season three Finchel. At home in Rachel's room, having conversations more often. Like, I want to see them doing things together as a couple, not just, you know, cuddling at school or deciding to get married and looking at chairs at school. Like, everything just kept happening at school. Um, yeah, that's the one thing. And as it's, a- it's unbelievable to me that Rachel doesn't have more interaction with people in seasons two and three outside of school. Um, So it's just hard. I mean, like, what do we see? We see her basement in season two. We see her room a few times. Um, 
Well, and to be, but that's it for, I mean, and yeah, they pulled it to Kurt's house a lot more, but for whatever reason, they kind of kept the world inside the school. And sometimes I think to a fault, I don't know why it was a thing. Sure. But I, I think that sometimes not having any kind of location, um, kind of made it feel boxed in. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're telling a story at a school. It makes sense. You know, we didn't go to Will's apartment that often, but we went just as often to Hummel Tires and Lube. So, so yeah. Or on a very special episode, we would meet Artie's parents or Sam's parents or Tina's parents or... So, uh, let's, I mean, you know, I've probably talked about this a million times and people are sick of me talking about it, but let's talk about the fact that Kurt wasn't in the pilot and the fact that, you know, we were talking earlier that Ryan Murphy wrote him in because Chris just had that something when he auditioned. Mm -hmm. And well, you can watch the audition on the internet. It is fabulous. He is adorable. Um, and I can see why, uh, you know, well, he's funny. they thought this could be interesting. He's a very, fun, like most people on auditions, and I can understand why, because I can't imagine going to audition, I'd be terrified. But he comes in and he's, he's nervous, but he's funny. He's like yeah. entertaining. Like you, when he sings Mr. Cellophane, and you watch him do this in this um, audition. He looks. There's one point where he turns as if he's looking right into the camera to be like, "Yeah," and it's so funny. It's actually different than the way he plays it as Kurt in the in the show, but it's funny. And you know, I I often talk about one of the reasons that um, Rachel solos bore me is because when she sings, she sings the same way every time, and it's kind of boring to watch. But when you have Kurt and you you know Chris come in there, he's doing something different and unique with a performance, a visual performance. And that's incredibly mm-hmm. entertaining for something that's going to be on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then that translates, you know, to the background role, he, you know, putting on sunglasses during vitamin D when the girls are singing their song, like mm-hmm. all of these little like facial expressions when Will's rapping, you know, all of these tiny little things. I mean, yes, you know, we were at a time in society that we wanted to talk about, you know, gay rights. But also, here's this kid who is fascinatingly entertaining, you know? So yeah. it's not just this big, mega, you know, topic. It's, who is that? I want to see more of them. Yeah. I mean, you after season one, Kurt and Brittany got a lot more focused screen time because Kurt and Brittany were hilarious in the background of season one. Numerous compilation videos of Kurt and Brittany in the background of season one. Absolutely. And and then, yeah, like we were talking also about the Ryan Murphy also having personal investment there because yeah. Ryan originally was telling his story. I mean, there is a lot, a lot of the earlier stuff talk about how Kurt is very much a Ryan Murphy character. And I think that it eventually deviated. I do think that Kurt became his own person, especially more that sure. Kurt tried to, con- or Chris tried to control that. Um, but, but also then you had the mixture of critical acclaim with particular characters. There was critical acclaim with the Kurt character. You know, there was stuff like, you know, this week they made him dance in, 10 inch heels and last week he sang la jazz hot and jesus christ throw anything at this kid and he's going to be able to do it like that's pretty much that's what half the i'm paraphrasing but a lot of reviews basically said that um and they didn't say that about Corey, and they didn't say that about 
Leo or Diana, but they did say that about this particular side character. You know, you give him something to do and he really shines at it. And you have plenty of other people, you know, the people on the cast also, you know, people on the cast would say things like, wow, I love, I love running lines with this person or that person. I love being in a scene with that person because, you know, they really give it their all. Um, And so, you know, there are particular characters that shine through that because their scenes end up being better with all the other characters as well. Do you remember, and I'll see if I can dig, I don't know what it's called, so it'd be hard for me to dig out, but it was the endish of season one, and Mark Sailing wrote a, a song about everybody. I have everybody. seen that video, and, yes. Um, it's interesting to me because he goes around and, and basically hits him driving around singing about the end of this versus yeah. of Leaf. It's not and the greatest, but it's I really not. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, he, t- he does a little moment with each cast member and obviously there's people that he's definitely closer to. Yeah. There's people that he's definitely having sex with. I think. That's <laughs> <laughs> but the funny part is like the only, his line about Chris is that Chris is a good actor. That's like it, but it's also true. Like it's yeah. To me, when I, when I, when I saw it, it wasn't also, it wasn't just that Mark probably has no relationship with Chris. I'm not going to speculate on anything, but it is also <laughs> that, um, but you know, when people talk about, you know, Oh, this guy's the funny guy. It's what when they talk about Chris, it's Chris is a really great actor. Yeah. That's the, that's what people yeah. really say. And it wasn't until I saw struck by lightning that I really got it because you watch struck by lightning and he's a completely different. And there's like, no Where, Kurt. Where's Kurt? Yeah. There's plenty of interviews with him um, from early on where people just the phenomenon of people meeting him and being disappointed that Kurt isn't real. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I get it. Everybody, you know, like that, that got dangled out in front of all of us and everybody was like, I want one. Um, you know, <laughs> but my point, my, my point about the capabilities of a particular person on the cast is when you have a show that's complex where you're being funny, you're being serious, you're singing, you're wearing crazy costumes, you're doing all that stuff. And you have someone who is like, give me a challenge. Let me do it. Uh, it makes sense why they gave him more because he was willing to do it. And then, you know, am, am I right? That just he and Jane Lynch are the only people that ever got nominated for awards. Well, uh, I believe he and Jane Lynch so. were the awards machines, you know, Emmys. Um, I think Leo got a whole bunch of like, like a modern. Uh, no, let me start over again. Leo got, got nominated for a bunch of minor awards that were not Academy Award stuff or whatever. Oh, you mean like Teen Choice Awards? Yeah, like that. She was sure. always nominated for yeah. that stuff. But, um, that cast got a lot of surfboards. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> but I think Chris was the only one that was nominated um, yeah. for an Emmy. Yeah, Leah also got, and I don't think it's I don't think it's understated to say that you know she got those People's Choice Awards, and that actually means something. It means something different than getting an Emmy or a Golden Globe, but that does actually mean something significantly more than the Teen Choice Award, I think. Sorry, teens. Throw this out there. I know I rag on Leah's, um, just because I don't like her singing that much. Um, I, I actually do think she's a pretty good actress, or at least she was very good yeah. with Rachel. I think that she was always 100% on with Rachel. So Yeah. There, I, I don't have any memory of just thinking like, wow, this actress really isn't pulling this off. It was more like, oof, this writing. Yeah, always. Always. <laughs> um... So, yeah, we have Kurt's story, and in season one, 
you know, it's a story about this, you know, this gay kid who's really trying to figure himself out. And, and really the thing that really, I think resonated with a lot of people resonated with me was his relationship with his dad. And the fact yeah. that we want to be accepted by our parents and the fact that they, instead of having it, because my background, um, again, I'm going to date myself, you know, I watched Dawson's Creek live when it was first on and th- those kids were my age and it was, you know, I had a friend who was gay and, and kind of going through some stuff. And when they had the gay character on that show come out, it was this just big dramatic two-parter episode where, you know, things were flying in the household and everybody's breaking down crying. And it was just, this, you know, everything. And it was just so dramatic and it was horrible. And how could he be gay? And then, you know, after he came out, he never really had a boyfriend and he did, but it, it just, it was always like, okay, well we labeled him as gay, but we're not going to really do anything with that. And mm-hmm. here you have this character who gets this loving, supportive family or this, his dad they bond. I mean, they're not perfect with each other, especially at first, but they bond together and they don't quite understand each other, but it's such a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's, you know, <clears throat> straight people love hearing the tragic backstory of your coming out <laughs> to the point where it's a little bit offensive. Like, you know, you don't want your everything to just be about this one thing. And it's very reductive. Um, so it was refreshing not only to get to see someone be more than their tragic backstory, um, but also to see um, just a, a whole world of possibility when things go a different way. The fact that they could go a different way. Because when we first meet Bert Hummel in the basement with the single ladies... You know, it certainly seems like every story you've already seen. Um, And then it takes a real pivot. And the pivot is wonderful. I mean, we still needed to have the coming out because it's still 2009. He's still 15. Like, it still matters for particular storytelling reasons. But it's not the be-all, end-all of what this character is about. And even then the things that are tied to this character be, I mean, really actually for most of the queer people on, on Glee, the things that tie them to being queer are not things that separate them from everybody else in the world. Right. What it does is it makes them seem like they're part of the world. Duh. Cause they are, you know, uh, Ryan uh, Murphy was able to normalize it in a way that, and I, I just, I keep going back to the Dawson's Creek thing just because it was my personal experience, not because I know that there have yeah. been other, like Will and Grace normalized it. Like Modern Family normalized it. It's just another, you know, a, a big one, but it was another way of saying, okay, these people aren't different. Yeah, but you know, they're but not age. with teenagers. Yeah. When in Dawson's Creek though, was, it was still, Jack was still, you know, separate. I mean, everything was the same except for, you know, all that gay stuff, but we're not going to talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. we're just going to lay it. But, but at the time, that's all they could do. That's all the network allowed them. So sure, sure. we're 10 years yeah. later, and now we can start to having these real, you know, really big stories. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, Kurt gets to be a person, gets to have feelings and layers and complexities. And, you know, I, I really love his friendship with Mercedes during season one and how that is all integrated together. And it just... Yeah, so much really great. But stuff. I mean, if you look at the surface, season one, Glee sounds super cheesy. Oh, this guy might have 
an affair or get divorced. Oh, there's a teen pregnancy. Ooh, there's a gay character. Like, doesn't sound like high quality television any more than anything else. Um, but the way it was produced was different. It was timely and cutting edge at the same time. And I think that it spoke um, with a particular honesty that was just nice. It was just nice to not have regular uh, drama for the sake of drama because someone isn't this particular cookie cutter mold. Yeah. And talking about writing for a second, um, I want to mention, because Ryan, Ryan <laughs> God, no. The writing gets shit on a lot, and sometimes within good reason. I will be the first to admit that. But there are some times when I'm, like, just blown away by the storytelling. Because if you look at Kurt's story, and you look at, you know, if you take Preggers and Wheels, and then, you know, Home, Lear, and Joyce, and Theatricality, and you have this whole arc where, and there's, like, little bits in between along the way that aren't those major episodes, where Kurt is struggling with his own sexuality, is struggling with his crush with Finn of, you know, finding somebody attractive and being okay with finding somebody attractive with trying to fit in with his, you know, you know, peer group with trying to make sure that his home life is okay. And there's just, there's so much there. It's just yeah. amazing yeah. that it's all I this going think, on. I, I mean, I think, you know, overall when there's trouble with Glee, it's just, it's like, it's not the writer. It's the proofreader. It's the editor. It's the, it's, it's the person who has to wrangle all the pieces and the way, you know, cause so much of what you see in any medium is just the editing. Um, and I think that Glee lost the reins a little bit from time to time. And that's where it started to lose it. Well, and then going into season two, like it ups the ante because, you know, season one kind of, you know, it, it caps off the, the storyline with Bert and with Finn but then it kind of adds on to it. I mean, like, the stuff doesn't end. I mean, we get Furt kind of into season two with the Finn stuff, but then he becomes Kurt's brother. And then it, I wish they had done more with the Kurt and Finn brother stuff, but it's it's there. It's something that it turns into. I mean, I know they had a setup for a Hummel uh, living room. There could have been a lot more living room. It could have been a lot more kitchen. Oh, man. Could you imagine what the show could have been? No, I'm kidding. Like, I mean, could we have seen one Friday night dinner where all of the kids accidentally show up? Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we get the, the bullying stuff, which it's, again, season two. When I look at Kurt's arc as a whole in season two, it's just, it's great writing. It's compelling. You're just, I'm, I am personally just sitting there just wanting to just watch it all and look at it all and how it, you know, still ties in with season one and, and uh, just, yeah, whatever. And now I'm not saying words because I'm just gushing about things. But. <laughs> Me likey. Good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Good. I felt things. All the things. <laughs> so... Which isn't actually in, it wasn't actually accurate. I mean, I think that Kurt does make people feel all the things. Sure. And then we get season three. <laughs> and then we get season three, which isn't bad, but um, it's hard to know. It's hard to know exactly what they wanted. You know, I'll admit that. And it's funny because, like, I keep going back to, you know, clearly in season three, they've just given up on Will. 
they just full stop 100% give up. Um, but like, what are they doing with Finchel? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What do they really want out of this? I don't know. Which, yeah. And we get the complete disservice to Blaine, who shows up. He's an important character. He's more than just arm candy. He's more than just a jukebox. And yet he's in Kurt's universe and he's not, and even as fleshed out as Bert Hummel in a lot of ways. So it's, you know, it's frustrating. Um, I think a lot of us expected that he was going to show up at McKinley and rather than, you know, every sixth episode, every third episode, there was going to be more than just the two of them sitting next to each other and being cute. Um, and Hey, you know, he sang a lot of great songs and that saved us from a lot of songs sung by other people. And that was great. But I, I wish we would have gotten more Blaine, um, because he's super interesting and, and the, and season three would have been a great time to start setting up who exactly he is. Uh, and I get that season four is like, you know, part of the struggle of season four of Blaine is who am I without Kurt? And we're all like, yeah, who are you? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that was, we'll find out. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I think um, for Blaine, because I feel bad I'm making this more so one sided than I should, probably should be for Blaine coming on as a character who's literally written for somebody else. And, um, you know, and he works in season two as that, you know, well, he was in some ways more of a character in season two than he is in season three. Yeah, because he, he yeah. well, he had his own partial universe. He had Dalton. Yeah. So season three, he becomes kind of blended into the background, which Blaine fans don't hate me for saying that, but that's kind of what happened. I will say, as a Blaine fan, I love Blaine. Blaine's fabulous, but he did. Well, and I'm a Blaine fan too, but I'm not. He's not there. You can't just make him sing more damn Katy Perry. That's not good enough. No. I have standards, and I want my standards to be met. (laughs) You know, you have someone who can do lots of stuff, let them do all the stuff. And I think when we look at season four, going into it, because that's where we're, we're talking about going into season four. They sat down and they took a lot of issues that have been going on with Blaine and the writing and turned them into character traits. Like, who is Blaine without Kurt? Well, let's, you know, do that. You know, who is Blaine? Let's figure this out. You know, Blaine isn't used to being alone because, like, he's always been with Kurt. And and let's take him away. And, And that, when I, I... Hated season four when I when I sat through the first time. I just hated it. And now that I've gone back with time and understanding, and there are so many fascinating things, you know, sitting in between here, between season three and four, going, okay, wow. Like, yeah, I may not agree with all of their choices, but it's still, it's it's really fascinating to go back and look at. Like, okay, where are they going to go with this, you know, as Blaine as an individual character? Sure. But if in season three, you would have said that in season four, Blaine's best friends are Tina and Sam, I would have said, why? What? I mean, Sam's a nice guy. He's everybody's friend. He's either your best friend or your boyfriend to everybody at some point in time. He's great. He's a great buddy. But there's plenty of other characters that that could have been applied to. Well, yeah. And I mean, they just didn't. They just, there was just so much that they just didn't and and 
the stuff with Tina felt forced. And the stuff with Sam was just awkward because Sam lived at Kurt's house. They know each other. <laughs> like, they don't, like, they know each other pretty significantly. Like, it's not just a one-off joke. I may argue a little bit more, even though I, I like the Sam-Blaine friendship better. Um, Sam and, um, Sam, Kurt, God, you know what, I can't, uh, Blaine, his name is Blaine. Blaine <laughs> <laughs> had a friendship with Mike in the background of all of season three. And so you could almost yes. fan wink that. Would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. That Tina would be just, around. He loses everything. Or Brittany. Couldn't Blaine have been better friends with Brittany? I mean, I guess she's weird. So no, they kinda, she's quirky. They, nobody they can cut, be friends with her. They cut off Santana and Brittany for a while. Like they just put them in their own little like with yeah. Quinn and it was, yeah. So, um, yeah. one thing I want to mention, um, cause I'm totally jumping around at this point. Uh, I want to talk about the criticism of the St. Kurt stuff. You know, it's interesting because there are times when I was frustrated that they were pushing Kurt as the moral compass of the show and not allowing him to be as evil, deliciously evil as he sometimes is. And I think that he's someone who thinks the evil thing and then does the good thing because that's not the person he wants to be. But I miss some of the devious Kurt. And I don't understand some of the ways... I mean, most of it has to do with, like, the stuff with Sebastian. That just made no sense. And you can't blame Kurt for that. You can only blame the Glee overlords. Um, and, you know, there's some stuff with On My Way where people are frustrated. That's the, the St. Kurt stuff didn't, it didn't get to me. I think it's because I, I was able to shrug it off because I appreciated Kurt and I did understand that they were trying, I mean, they, for so many instances, he was the moral compass of the show. Um, and they were trying to make their show not just be bad and evil. Um, but it, it's almost awkward that they made that person one of the students. Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps we wouldn't all hate Shu as much if they had attempted to make him, possibly better at being a moral compass or someone who is good at stuff. Um, you know, you basically have the, you know, the, there's Emma and Bert and Carol who are the only adults who show up who aren't trying to actively hurt other people all the time. Uh, and that really doesn't work out. So there's definitely some stuff that they wrote in where they decided to ascribe it to Kurt. And I didn't necessarily feel that it always fit but I do think that the St. Kurt criticism is fair. Um, it didn't bother me as much, but I think it's fair. No, I, I, I agree for the most part. And I think that really it, it is a season three-ish thing. I mean, I understand that it stems out of stuff that happened in season two with the bullying stuff. That's where the writing of it stems from. But I, you know, you get into season four and I don't think that he is. The, he, he, I think his moral compass is back to what it used to be. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I just well, so much of season three, as we've talked about, is Kurt um, helping out Rachel when she has, you know, she's apparent. He he is apparently the only person in her universe who can say they're there. It'll be okay. Um, and so you have a lot of him being emotionally supportive to other people or being the moral high ground about this or that. Like you have a lot of instances where he's being 
so good. And you kind of miss snarky mean Kurt. Well, and I think also, I think a lot of people, I can see the understanding that for so long, gay characters were villainized just for being gay, but they were always, you know, you know, coded in villains. I mean, if you look at Disney villains, you can see coding there. Uh You can, you know, so they took it and they almost went too far in the other direction. It's like, okay, we're going to make him a model, like, you know, character on full house, you know, it's like, bring it back. It's like they didn't have anybody else in their core group to be that person. I mean, Mercedes is always that person. Mercedes is just a good person who does good things. That's her character, though. That's her character. She is a good person, and that is who she is, comparatively to Kurt walks a line. Good person, always doing good things. I Um, almost argue Blaine is a good person, too, in that same kind of mold. Absolutely. I think that Blaine only does bad things to himself. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. We love Blaine. We love Kurt. I like it. We love them both. Just take your hate to the left and go away. See, I the thing is that I don't need perfect characters. I like characters that sometimes do dumb things and learn lessons. I like couples that have conflict. They don't have to break up every time. Doesn't have to be cheating every time. But I like it when they have conflict and then work things out and talk about. Like I like all of that character exposition type stuff that can happen. Especially within friendships, you know, I mean, uh, there are some really interesting times in the Hummelberry friendship. Mind you, there's also some boring stuff, especially when we we got season three in there. But there's some really great stuff in there about friendship and support and, you know, sort of shared goals and understanding of, like, someone's particular outlook. All that kind of stuff. Um, Even, you know, one of the things that I think Lee did really well... um, in season three, which is funny to say, is whenever they tried to have bro time, they had all the boys together doing bro stuff. Usually Puck was involved, something with Puck and the bro stuff. It was kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't offensive. It was like endearing. Well, it's yeah. kind of tying this all together then. You, you get Kurt's story and Blaine is attached to that story at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you get a really great season one and two arc. You get season three that kind of plateaus Kurt. I mean, I think this is the one season that he kind of, there is a little bit of an arc there, but it's so attached to Rachel. It's so disjointed. There's not a lot there. Well, he's mostly having a good time. Yep. He's having a great senior year. His boyfriend's there. They've got their schedule. Things are good. (laughs) I mean, and there's little, there's little setbacks because like I wrote in my notes, Kurt's senior year was magical and it wasn't. Because yeah. he doesn't win the election, he doesn't get this school play, he, you know, his he starts his boyfriend is starting to pull away from him. But at the end of the day, I mean, he doesn't get into college. <laughs> it is the opposite. He gets nothing. He gets nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it is the opposite of, of season two, which is this high climb up to you know, to the what I you know, the I love you moment in New York and then season three just, just plummets back down. So in season two he had a bunch of highlights. Season two, a lot of setbacks. And then season three, it kind of plummets back down. And that's the, yeah. I think, personally, the best way to, you have to have conflict for a story. I mean, yeah, a fluff pieces, like fluff fix, are really nice for the one-shots. But to have a really good story, you have to have some kind of conflict. So... Yeah. But you also get a lot of character in season three. You get 
what is he motivated by? What is he doing? What are the other characters doing? You know, checking in with his dad, checking in with his boyfriend, checking in with his best friend. Like you get all this stuff, even though everything kind of goes in the crapper for him. Um, you get a lot of really great moments and it's not just sad, sad, sad. Um, there's sort of a roller coaster about it. Yep. Um, so yeah, we get the clean narrative and as everyone is so tired of me talking about, you have these two boys and they like each other as friends and they fall in love with each other and it is gorgeous and beautiful and it's fairy tale romance and it's so sweet. And I just, a lot of really gushy and lovely, wonderful things come in my head when I think about this. This is true. It's all, there's a lot of wonderful. But, you know, when you get outside of season two, this story either has to end with season two, because that's the whole story. You know, they, they meet each other and they become friends and then they fall in love and they realize that, you know, they, they love each other. Well, season two is the honeymoon. Yes. So you have to go, but as a storyteller, you have to go somewhere from that. Like, where do you go after that? Like, what is, you know, and, and I said this recently, and apparently a lot of people seem to agree with me, so maybe I, I'm halfway right on this. Uh, like, Kurt and Blaine have always felt like an old married couple, but they're still teenagers and still have to, you know, they don't know what it is to be an old married couple. So they have to grow up and learn a lot of things and in the process hurt each other a couple of times. I mean, you don't have to do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for the story, that's what happens. And hurt, hurt each other, but not like, not maliciously. Right. You know, well, I'll go through growing pains, I guess more so. Than, sure. Yeah. So yeah. in season three, three, there's not a whole lot of claim there. There's just not, you get these pillars of the first time and dance with somebody and tiny little, little moments throughout. And what we get, I think, is fabulous. Yeah. I would have liked more. Uh, but I don't know if Glee had the capacity to tell us more in a way that would have been as good as the tight story that we got for season three. And I, I always, obviously, I've always, would always have loved more playing in anything. Yeah. But I look at what they do, did with Wemma and with Pinchel, and I'm like, maybe it's better that they didn't, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Like, uh, yeah. So, you, you know, you have the characters, they're in their honeymoon stage for season two, and in season three, it stops being this kind of idyllic, idyllic thing. You know, Blaine's going to be a real boy soon. These characters are going to be thrust into adulthood, and experience changes and that's kind of what is set off at the end of season three it's it's not i mean dance with somebody is a fantastic episode to highlight it and there are little things around it um yeah i wish there would have been more to the story there but i guess we got what we got yeah and i I do think that season three did a good job of showing what it's like to be in a couple where sometimes there's some problems and you really like the other person, you know, you like spending time with them, you like all those things. But over time, some of the intensity will soften from familiarity. And it doesn't change, it doesn't change the, the depth of meaning. It just change, changes the hyperactivity of the moment. Right. Like there's just as much care in some of those soft little background moments 
when one of them shushes the other or smiles at the other or does that kind of stuff. That's that's the long-term relationship coming out. Right. Uh, and, it's, you know, it's not the same thing as when they first meet or when they first fight or first do this or that. But it's the thing is that, I mean, part of the thing that I think is really frustrating about seasons 4.5 with Blaine and McKinley is that he's not a teenager. He's been in this kind of, and we don't, we don't ever see him in a teenage setting. We don't see his parents. We don't see, you look at his, his room. That's the room of a 40 year old man, you know, like (laughs) there's not, I mean, it's just, he doesn't seem like a bumbling kid and the relationship seems too mature for the ages that they are. It's really easy to forget that he's 17. Yeah. You know? And I think that's key because this is kind of, again, the reason for doing this podcast. This is the key going into season four. These are still teenagers who... Yeah. are having these big life-changing experiences because you have, you know, you have Kurt who did not get into college. And he is kind of depressed about his own... I use the depressed lightly. Um, uh, like, frustrated and, and, you know, feeling held back and feeling that his dreams have been dashed. And, and he's going to go out to New York and figure out what that is, you know, what he's going to do without, you know, because Kurt is, you know, a planner. He likes to be in control. He likes to have things like he's planned his whole life out, and then things change at the Mm -hmm. end of season three. And his life is not going the way he expected it was going to go. So there's that. And then there's Blaine, who feels stuck, and who is already, you know, I, I can't imagine... I mean, there's a bazillion th- fanfics out there that so you can, but like what their summer was that year between season. Oh three. God. Yes. Well, you know, it's not really until season four where we get to see Blaine be a teenager in any sense of the word. I mean, that's part of what I think was both good and awkward about him set off by himself at McKinley. I do think it's um, from a narrative perspective. I think it was smart to separate the two of them. So that when they could be together, I mean, you look at what you get, if season six hadn't existed at all, and you look at what you get at the last part of season five, it's a really great story. It makes a lot of sense. But it is kind of hard when you look at season three, it's hard to imagine what Blaine's season four is possibly going to be. Yeah. It's easier to imagine with Kurt, because we see, you know, he has been focused on a particular goal. And when he gets focused on something, that shit is happening, come hell or high water. Um, and it, he may have to adjust. Uh, he may have to do this or that. But all of the pieces, you know, he's not sitting in Will Schuster's glee club anymore after season three, waiting for someone to say, you can sing part of a solo at rec- regionals, right? He moves into a place of agency, um, totally different than he's had before. He's been waiting to have this level of agency. He's been waiting to be a grown-up in this way. And he has this very grown-up teenage relationship with his other grown-up teenage boyfriend who, you know, his agency isn't as clear to us because he's 
so much of a secondary character to Kurt. So, yeah, I mean, like, season four started and it was like, fucking, who knows what the hell is going to happen? <laughs> well, and, you know, something I'm going to pull on a thread that you mentioned a little bit earlier. They have some of, you know, the, already they have some of these characteristics of a long term a very familiar relationship of, you know, the little touches on the shoulders, like, honey, calm down. It's okay. The little, yeah. like, moments, the, the ability to talk with their eyes, it's all there. But it's, you know, the, the foundation is there, but they, they are still these 17-year-old, 18-year-old boys who emotionally don't have, you know, any of their shit worked out yet. I will say that as an 18-year-old, man, I thought I had seen it all, done it all, I really thought that I had that shit sorted out. But it wasn't until I had more time to have a better understanding of myself and my own shit to sort out that I feel like I got better at being a person. Mm-hmm. All of the all of the adult elements were there at 18, but without some of the hands-on practice. Yep. And I think it's something we all go through. I think it's something that I know that you know, at 19, I definitely had a lot of emotional drama going on, um, that I definitely don't have now. Uh, and I'm like, man, I would not go through that again, but it's, it's something they have to go through. So, you know, and there are some teenagers who were like, holy shit, don't make me be an adult. Finn. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Quinn, in a way. Be an adult. And then there's other ones who are like, I am counting the days until I can be an adult. I'm ready. I want to do it. Yep. Well, and, and that's blank. people that overshoot and, and like Rachel, her whole story arc is about trying to be an adult and, and not at all being one yet. Yeah. Um, so. And Blaine's just like, he's, he's really trying to get to 35 as fast as possible. <laughs> <Poor kid. laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's interesting. So kind of tying this all up together. Season four, from a fandom point of view, was, you know, that summer was insane. And there was all of this negativity and this drama and, you know, it's just all this crap going on. And the first time we didn't get a tour. Yeah. I mean, things were changing. Things were changing. Things were changing. But we didn't know what. We didn't want because, I mean, they were talking about Jarley way early on. We knew that the breakups were going to happen. We knew all this stuff was going to happen. And so having that negative, really, really negative outlook into season four didn't help anything. And I think that since, for me personally, I won't speak for anybody else, for me, having all of these years go by, having seen the whole picture of the show, beginning of season four is kind of exciting. It's now, you know, we're not going to get any of this boring season three, let's wait for them to look at each other in the background. We've got some actual relationships, some character drama, some stuff that they're going to, a whole story arc that's going to go from seasons four through six. Mm -hmm. And I even think, and I didn't think this originally, but upon rewatch, what they do with Finchel at the end of season three is really great. Yeah, it kind of is. Well, yeah, not to spend too much time. It was way better than I remember. Yeah. So I think that, I think that season four gets underrated a lot. I know a lot of people are so upset about various aspects of it. I know that being in fandom at that time was hard. 
So that is always going to shape your perspective. Um, yeah. But I think that there are a lot of really good things, a lot of really cool things that I'm, I'm really excited to talk about going into season four. And I think I remember you remember Snarky when we started season three and you're like, you're different. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were so happy in season two. And, <laughs> and well, and I think going into season three and, and talking about all of these really cool story arcs and, the, and yeah, there, I wish there were just more part. Yeah. I wish they had done things a little differently with the breakup stuff. Yes, 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 yes. There are a lot of things I'd change, but I think we're going to have a lot of really, really great conversations coming up. I think that there's just a lot to pick apart and a lot to delve into and a lot of character studies with both Blaine and Kurt in a way that we weren't able to do before. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the breakup is sad, but it's well done. I will defend it. Well, I can't you're going to have to. You're on that podcast. I will defend it that uh, it's sad. It's appropriately sad. It's very well done. And it's something that that they needed. Um, did they necessarily have to break up to be apart and learn all these lessons? Well, maybe not. But if you want to have it be a more interesting television show, then yeah, they did. I will also say something to keep in mind. And I know people have a hard time with this. Ryan. Oh, yeah, well, I don't know if I should. I'll wait and save that for the breakup episode. Um <laughs> The people keep, should keep in mind that Ryan Murphy, the way he writes his couples, there's a consistent theme of cheating. For whatever reason, he has... So what cheating is in this universe is not exactly the same thing as what cheating is in other... Like, in reality or other yeah. universes. And, and I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not trying to say that this is something that you should just accept. If you're upset by it, fine, you're upset by it. You have every right to be. I'm not telling you not to be, but I'm saying from a writing perspective, Brian Murphy is consistently writing his couples across the board in his shows. Now, I'm not just talking about Glee. This is how he writes conflict with his characters because for whatever reason, whether he was cheated on or I'm, I'm slightly convinced that he cheated on somebody else and lost them. And that is how he's dealing with it. Well, you know, it's, it's something that people easily take sides with. They may, it makes sense why people break up about it. Like, you know, it's one of those go-to things. It's an easy get to use. So I also understand though, that if I think that while there were a lot of issues that could be explored with Clay, I think it would have been, it needed to be something huge to actually break them up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it needed to be something unthinkable. Well, we got that. Because right up until the first 10 minutes of that episode, you were not expecting it. <laughs> so, yeah, so there we are. So there we are going into season four. I know it's a lot of people's not favorite time of the series, and I get that. Um, but hopefully this kind of... But we also get that New York arc that I think has a really great focus on characters that we like. And it allows us to see those characters without the busy of everybody else in the universe. Yep. For every enough seasons one through three, we had kind of a full arc, even though there's lots of left unfinished story to be told. Seasons one through three is its own thing. And seasons four through six starts this other story. And even though it's connected, to, it's like the sequel. It's like all yeah. the other ghosts and gray. I mean... <laughs> 
Does that make sense? <laughs> I think it makes sense to anyone listening to this. <laughs> I think, yeah, out of context, it probably makes no sense. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, especially for the Blaine story, I'm so glad that we got more because I wanted to see him fleshed out. I mean, really, like, you know, so season three ended and we don't check in with him again. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what's going on with him. Um, I, it seems like he doesn't know what's going on with him either. Uh, and it's it's an odd choice for Glee to make in some ways when you think about they kept certain people back to anchor the show with some history of the show. And they were all originals to some degree. People that we knew for a really long time. And we had a good sense of what they were going to be like. Um, but less so of a Blaine character without Kurt. I do think it makes sense that Darren Chris stayed on the show because he was so popular. And by default, Blaine had to stay in the kitchen. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's interesting who they decided to make stay and make go. And, and I remember when we were talking at the goodbye that they split all the couples in half. And I mean, even, even though Finn graduated, he was still going to be over in McKinley. Mm-hmm. And so they did that. And then, but having Artie and Tina stay, that's interesting to me. I guess Tina was one half of the, that. Okay. Making Artie stay was an interesting choice. Well, you know, on the one hand, there's the storytelling side. And on the other hand, there's the iTunes sales side. That's true. And the iTunes sales side means the Glee Club is going to be singing. And there needs to be, we haven't met the newbies yet. We don't know who they are. Clearly none of the Glee Project people were all that interesting. And the part with the Glee Club, there needs to be someone that will make sure that that happens. Right? So... The Glee Club, in a greater sense, needed Blaine and McKinley. Yeah. Well, and yeah, like, as as going back to what we were talking about before in the first half of the podcast, you know, when it was originally going to be Glee, the college years, and Glee, the next generation, um, <laughs> they needed somebody to anchor uh, yeah. the, the next generation. Blaine Anderson puts asses in the seats, I'm telling you. <laughs> So yeah, that's where we. I mean, who, who? But also, by the same token, who would we have followed to New York besides Rachel and Kurt? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's great that Santana showed up. She made it interesting. I wish we could have seen more of Mercedes. She also made it interesting. But you know, we needed Rachel and Kurt needed to be in New York. It would have been unthinkable for them not to be there. Uh. And so it's just really interesting to see how, how they chose to divvy it up. And then what did they choose to augment the New York storyline with? Not more singers, but more storyline. Yep. Which works, I think. Well, I yeah. mean, to to a point. But that, I mean, I'll save that when we get into the actual episode stuff. Yeah, we'll save that when we get into it. But I do think it is interesting that, um, you know, I, I guess you, I suppose you could say they gave Finn a whole cast because they gave him a whole bunch of newbies to work with. But going into season four, they gave Rachel and Kurt, each of them, a guest star. Yep. A a dedicated guest star for their stories. That is how much they cared about these New York stories. 
And not cheap guest stars either. So, yeah, bringing it, I guess, full circle, going forward, Glee is not the phenomena that it once was. You know, at this point, going into season four, people just, the general audience was kind of out at this point. The fact yeah. that they're going to bring in all these new characters is really just going to hammer that in. Well, I think they were taking, there was a dice roll. They were like, let's see if we can get lightning in a bottle twice. Let's see if we can do it. And it didn't work. Finn's still at McKinley. We'll see if we can do it. The claim phenomenon, though, is something that I think endured, though. I think it is something that helped 100%. Last month, I voted in this online poll because I can't not because I have free time sometimes. And... Clean beat out, uh, what is it? Sam and Diane from Cheers. Sam and Diane, all the Ricky and they Lucy. beat R- Ricky and Lucy. They beat out Ricky and Lucy for all-time TV couple ever. And mind you, you know, Glee fans at the height, like you know, we're the internet savvy people. We're the people are going to fill out polls. But the show's been gone for a while. Yeah, it's been. And two to years. have to have Clean beat out Lucy and Ricky or any of those other like really significant TV couples, I think says a lot. It says a lot about, you know, not just the younger generation, but like sort of society as a whole, that like that's who we hold on to. Um, it's just fascinating. And, you know, if they, they won that poll and I was shocked and it just makes me think like, are they going to keep winning polls in five years? Is that possible? I don't know. It depends on how much. I will say, I think fandom is a very powerful thing. I think that Kurt and Blaine as a fandom still outweighs, like, the general audience for, like, those kind of polling things. Like, yeah. Well, I read sure. My Mortal the Lucy and Ricky and... fandom is probably a little old at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I should go on one of those. I should go to AO3 and check the Lucy Ricky tag and see how it is. You should. That'd be great. I, I think that this couple definitely made its mark on on couple on um, TV in TV history and yeah you know going forward Glee is is going to be a mess. I mean I really really love seasons four through six for a lot of reasons that we'll get into when we do it, but I think that as a cultural phenomenon, Glee that ends kind of with season three. Oh, absolutely. And, um, now absolutely. we get our little niche show um, that fandom holds on to more than than sure. their audience. I mean, you get to the last half of season five and fandom is like, yay, finally, we've been waiting for this show. I know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, final thoughts on anything? Well, my thing was that the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to take a look at how we are like both, you know, externally and internally, you know, both as a phenomenon, but, and in the story, how we are, how we got to season four and why we get the season four that we get. And it's not just a, this was, you know, they decided to write shitty stories or something. It's, there's a process that it went through. and, And I always find, I'm a, I'm a big picture person. I mean, like, really, the details are awful. You have to, like, get other people to help me with details because I suck at them. And But I like the big picture stuff, and I see that the whole overarching story is just fascinating. So to take a look at it and say, this is where the show started, and here we are in the middle of it, and this is how we got to this point. 
is really fascinating. So that's kind of what I wanted to do because it's a, it's a good pause point because the show changes after this and to jump into season four, it's a new direction. Oh God. Why did <laughs> I can't believe you said that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Unintentionally too. Oh my God. It's a new. Well, I will say this and it's one of my favorite Kurt meta things. The first time we see Kurt, he announces someday you will all work for me. And then he promptly gets thrown into a dumpster. And in the end, he comes out on top. You know, even in some ways towards the end of season three, he gets he gets a lot of wins um, over the course of those first three seasons. And I'm just really, you know, really glad that I got to kind of watch that happen in real time and see it. I think Glee, I think Glee experienced at a different point in time is out of sync uh, because it's so... Uh, it, it, it's attempting to be so culturally relevant to the moment. Um, but I love the fact that the first thing you see about Kurt is him defying all the odds, even though they are clearly not in his favor and very visibly not working out for him. And it's just, it just goes up from there. However many bumps there are along the way, uh, his story does get better from there. I would agree with that. Definitely. So, yeah, um, I think that kind of uh, wraps up this particular podcast that's kind of in between three and four podcasts. Um, get ready, because starting next week, we are going to jump into season four and this new uncharted territory that's kind of crazy. But I think that this, you know, is going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you guys continue listening to us. That's really great. So. Thank you, Snarky, for joining me in, in this very long conversation about all of this stuff. But it, it's been a lot of fun. Finally found you, my missing puzzle piece. I'm The sunshine